Thank you, Jerry. It's a great opportunity to be able to serve under your leadership, and God has really passed the mantle, kind of like Elijah and Elisha, from founder Dr. Jerry Falwell to his son, Jerry Falwell Jr. Jr. and Jonathan. And this university has the best students, the best mission, the best faculty of any university in the world, bar none. So for those of you here for College for a Weekend, if you're looking for a college that's actually going to impact the world, where your life is going to be changed, where you can actually pursue your vision, there is no other university in the world that I would recommend but Liberty University. I love my students. I'm excited every day to see what's happening at Liberty University. One of my favorite movies that I've ever watched is the movie Back to the Future. That trilogy has a lot to say in it. And in fact, in the second Back to the Future movie, you remember that Doc and Marty and Jennifer, they travel up to 2015 to resolve a problem that has happened within their future children. And while they're there, the older Biff Tannen steals the DeLorean time machine and he flies back from 2015 to 1955 because he takes to his younger version of Biff Tannen, Gray's Sports Almanac. And from 1955 up to 1985, this younger Biff Tannen uses that sports almanac to bet and creates a gambling empire. So when all of the three come back from 2015 back to 1985, you remember those scenes. They're walking through the streets of idyllic, what used to be, Hill Valley, and there's cars burning, there's policemen on the street, there are all kinds of gangs and graffiti, and they walk up to the houses, and they have bars on the doors, and they must realize this is a different time zone. Something has happened to my idyllic Hill Valley. And they realize that something took place, and history was made different because of certain decisions. In fact, this particular line on the screen kind of represents the idea of history. And as any map would have, you're here. That's what you are. Back to the Future was looking from 1985 to 2015. It looked into the future. I think that future is now. And I think that future is in your hands. We've registered now over 4,000 brand new voters in the Commonwealth of Virginia that will affect the future of not only the local area, but the state and indeed the nation. But I believe the future begins to change here and it begins to change now. But as you remember in that Back to the Future when Doc Brown was explaining how something must have went wrong in this 1985 version. It's kind of a parallel tangent to the 1985 that they know. They realized that from 1955 these decisions were made bad and so they walk into the idyllic Hill Valley and it is a criminal cesspool. Biff Tannen now owns the police force. He owns everything. He has transformed Hill Valley because of decisions that were made. I believe we are entering into a time of American and indeed world history where we have two potential tangents of our future history and we have that opportunity to affect and change the course of history. We've seen that happen, for example, in the Israelites. They were on the verge of the promised land. And 12 spies went into the promised land. God had taken them through all the miracles, but they forgot. They got to the edge of the promised land, and while they were there, 10 people came back. They saw the same thing. They saw the same news reports, experienced the same activities, but they could not see God. They could only see giants. 
two, Joshua and Caleb came back seeing the exact same things. They didn't get discouraged by what they saw or what they heard on the news. They didn't get discouraged about the economy or anything else that was there. They only saw God and could not see the giants. But unfortunately, the children of Israel made a choice and history was changed. God said, if you don't believe and don't want to go into the promised land, then you can wander and squander your miserable lives in the desert. And they did, and they died. We don't even know their names. We are at that point of history. Our actions have consequences. In fact, when we go back and look at our founders, they understood that there is a duty to be involved in the civic process. I submit that there is a Christian duty to be involved in the civic process because it affects values and principles that are biblical and that are precious to God himself. One of the founding fathers here, Samuel Adams, said, let each citizen remember at the moment he is offering his vote that he is not making a present or a compliment to please an individual, but that he is executing one of the most solemn trusts to God and to his country. And then again, another founder said, consider well the important trust which God has put into your hands. And that's you here at Liberty. To God and posterity, you are accountable for your rights and your rulers. Let not your children reason have reason to curse you for giving to these rights, uh, giving uh, these uh, rights, and prostrating uh, these institutions which your fathers delivered to you. Look well to the character and qualification of those you elect and raise to the office and places of trust. Think not that your interest will be safe. In fact. Think not that your interest will be safe in the hands of the weak. It goes on to say in the hands of the immoral. Think not that your interest will be safe if in fact that those who acknowledge not the providences of God nor regard his laws will be uncorrupt in office, firm in defense, or in righteousness. Think not that your interest in fact will be safe. Guard your civil and religious liberties. Watch over them. If we put people in office that don't reflect our values, then what can we expect in return? We will expect the same thing that we put into office. Private activity, private morality ultimately is manifested in public consequences and public laws. Another one of our early founders said, the time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics or the Lord will curse them. Christians have been exceedingly guilty in this matter, but the time has come when they must act differently. Christians seem to act as if they thought God did not see what they do in politics, but I tell you, he does see it, and he will bless or curse this nation according to the course, Christians, or the course that you and I take. Our actions have consequences. When we go into the ballot box and vote, or when we don't go to the ballot box and don't vote, those have consequences. God sees what we do in private. God sees what we do behind that ballot box. Our actions must match our words. Our actions must match the one who gave his life and died on the cross for you and I to give us eternal life. Our actions make consequential impacts in America, in people's lives, and in future history. This is the Reverend Charles Finney that was quoted. Charles Finney became a Christian studying Blackstone's commentaries when he was studying law. He became one of the great revival preachers of the Second and Third Great Awakenings. 
But our founders go on to say even more. It says, now more than ever, the people are responsible for the character of their Congress. How much true is that today? If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it is because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. If the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling the political forces. James Garfield, our 20th president and a revivalist, the next centennial is now. He wrote this in 1877. He says, if a hundred years later in the time frame in which we live, if we have corrupt people in office, if in fact we have individuals who are immoral, if our policies are corrupt, it's because you and I have ultimately allowed that to happen. This minister in 1909 was preaching on racial reconciliation and he said this, if the time ever comes when we shall go to pieces, it will be from inward corruption, from the disregard of right principles, from losing sight of the fact that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. We've got to get our priorities straight. I believe that voting is a Christian duty and to vote Christian values, but we've got to get our priorities straight. Sometimes our priorities are out of skew. We've got to get them straight so that the answer to our questions, how shall we vote, will become very clear. When I was in Denver, Colorado, I was privileged to be able to bring about a hundred national leaders together. National leaders who came from all different parts of the United States, political and religious as well. We began to focus on core values. What are our core values? When you ask that question, it becomes quite clear how then should we live? How then should we vote? These core values that we talked about ultimately became reflected in a document that we called the Declaration of American Values. Now, these values are more than just American values, but these are values that collectively clearly influenced and made this country the great nation that it is. We released this document just before the 4th of July, and so in celebration of the year of independence in 1776, we penned these words. It says, We the people of the United States of America, at this crucial time in history, do hereby affirm the core consensus values which form the basis of America's greatness, that all men and women from every race and ethnicity are created equal, and are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We adhere to the rule of law embodied in the Constitution of the United States and to the principles of liberty on which America was founded in order to maintain the blessings of liberty and justice for ourselves and our posterity, and recognizing that personal responsibility is the basis of our self-governing nation, we declare our allegiance. And then we set forth ten principles, trying to prioritize them in order. Collectively, what is that first principle? That first principle is to secure the sanctity of human life, to secure the right to life from the moment of conception until natural death. God created you and I as the pinnacle, the crown jewel of his creation, created us unique from any other 
magnificent, wonderful thing that he designed, creating us, male and female, moms and dads, you and I, in his image. God is the giver of life. Life is the preeminent liberty. You can take the right to property or the right to free exercise of religion or the right to freedom of speech or any other kind of right to somebody who's a corpse and frankly it means nothing to someone who's dead. If you don't have the fundamental, preeminent, first principle right to life, then every other liberty is just simply irrelevant. It is nonsensical. It makes nothing matter. In fact, the scriptures say in Psalm 139, 13, and 15, You did form my inward parts, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew me right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Every 20 seconds, we take the life of an unborn child, and we call that choice under the guise of law from the United States Supreme Court. God's justice will not rest forever if we continue to take innocent human life of the most vulnerable and worthy of our defense. God's justice will not rest forever. The right to life has to be the preeminent right. This photograph is my hand. This little hand is baby Rowan. Baby Rowan would be three years old today. He would have celebrated his third birthday, but he never got a chance. Baby Rowan was a perfectly formed male boy. He fit in a shoebox. I took this particular photograph in the morgue in Orlando, Florida. A lady flew from out west to Orlando to have a late-term abortion, thinking that it would solve her problems. They gave her these drugs to begin to induce abortion. And so she began to go into labor. She came into the abortion clinic and she began to go into labor and she gave birth to baby Rowan who was grasping for air as he was about ready to go into his third trimester of life. She screamed out for help for someone to call. The 911 tapes are still available for those who want to hear them. She screamed out for help for someone to intervene in the life of her little baby Rowan and no one would help her. She called me and asked what she could do. Obviously, we could not restore the life of baby Rowan. We tried to restore her soul and her feeling and understanding that God is a great God who can forgive and, for he and can heal. But Rowan never saw one day of life. This issue of abortion is not just about choice. It's not just about rhetoric. It's not just about legal jargon. It's about baby Rowans. Whenever you walk into a morgue and you handle a little baby who is perfectly formed that fits in the side of a shoebox, no abnormalities, nothing with him. I tell you what, the issue of life becomes real to you as it has become so very real to me. In my own family, we've had the issue of life hit it as well. I have a sister who was raped by my own father. And as a result of that, she gave birth to a child. Her child, my niece, has now graduated from high school. She has now given birth to a child. Because of my father's sin of rape and incest committed against my sister, as tragic, as horrible as that was back then, I can never look into the eyes of my niece and my grandniece and say, I wish you would not have been born. Life is precious. 
and we have no right as individuals or particularly as politicians to simply throw it off. There are people running for office today, some who would stand up for little baby Rowans, and one, in fact, several of which would simply say, I am opposed not only to any law that would actually restore life, but I am opposed to any law that would allow someone to come in after baby Rowans are born to interfere and intercede and try to give them life-saving support. One politician running in the race believes and voted against and worked against a law that would help save baby Rowans after abortion when they survive. I think the right to life is the right of all rights. The second one in the Declaration of American Values, to secure the institution of marriage as the union of one man and one woman. God created marriage. He created that as the foundation of our society. As marriage is strong, the government and societies are strong. If we deconstruct marriage to same-sex marriage, it ultimately destroys the family. There are people that we have opportunities to choose as our elected officials this November, one of which would ultimately repeal the Federal Defense of Marriage Act, and that would allow same-sex marriage to go from one state to the other. The other one voted for the Federal Defense of Marriage Act. One opposes Florida's and California's and Arizona's right to be able to amend their own constitution to have marriage as one man and one woman. The other supports those rights. We have significant choices. And this individual here is an illustration of how when we reconstruct marriage, consequences happen. This is Lisa Miller who lives in Virginia and her little daughter Isabella who is now six years of age. She's a Christian now. God has changed her mind and changed her appetites and changed her ideas. She has been liberated from the power of sin and death. But the law in Vermont, which is a same-sex union law, that law is trying to take her back into this situation in Vermont where there is Janet Jenkins who is still active in the lesbian lifestyle. And in fact, in a couple of days from now, little Isabella's life and future is going to be for a judge in Vermont. Literally, literally, without any question, we are representing her at Liberty Council. But I can tell you what, Little Isabella, the daughter of Lisa, who lives in a Christian home here in Virginia, her future is on the line because the person in Vermont is wanting to take Isabella, with whom she has no biological or adoptive relationship, from her Christian mom's home in Virginia and rip her away to Vermont. You cannot imagine the kind of days and nights that we have wept, cried, worked, and fought for the life of this little girl. This is not theoretics. Whenever we have people in office, these consequences tear down lives or they ultimately build them up. There's many other rights that we mentioned in the Declaration of Rights. To secure the fundamental rights of parents for the education and training of their children, to secure the free exercise of religion, to secure the moral dignity of each person, to secure the right to own, possess, and manage private property. And this one we practice here as well. To secure the right to bear arms. In fact, that left photo is me shooting an 1851 Civil War black gunpowder pistol at the law school student organization's meeting, uh, cookout and shootout. And the picture of me on the right well, that's just plain ridiculous. But that's uh, weapons from some of our students. But the right to bear arms is fundamentally important. 
for us. It's fundamentally important for our liberties. To secure a system of checks and balances between the executive and legislative and judicial branches. In other words, to stop judicial activism and to secure our national sovereignty and domestic tranquility. We have also to secure a system of fair taxes that are not punishing to the family and that provide free enterprise for all of us. We have to vote Christian values. I believe that it is, in fact, our duty. We must keep our eye on the values, not on persons or parties or personalities. God is neither Democrat, Republican, or Independent, or Green Party. But God, I can tell you, is for innocent human life. God is also for the sanctity of marriage as one man and one woman. We have four choices as we go to any election, including this November 4. One is to vote for the person who will best advance our core values. The other is to vote for a person who will most likely decimate those values. Another is to simply vote for someone who has absolutely no opportunity to win, but just a symbolic vote, a protest vote. And a fourth is to not vote at all. Well, not voting at all or voting for somebody who has no chance of winning is the same thing. That's a vote for someone who will decimate your values. If you're not doing good, you're not doing good. I think that, in fact, there is no perfect candidate. Until Jesus Christ is on the ballot, I think we're going to have to vote all the time for imperfect candidates. There is only one perfect candidate, and last time I checked, I don't think Jesus Christ is running for office. What I do believe, however, is that we've got to keep our eye on these values. God loves children. He loves little Isabella. Her life has been impacted because of politicians who've gone into the legislature or into the courts. The issues that we face this November are very critical for your and American future. This future election is kind of like a parallel tangent and the choice between one course of America, your course of the future, and a different course is your choice. God has vested that with you, with this right to be able to vote your Christian values. If the candidate does not understand the sanctity of human life, then I believe that candidate has no business being in office. If the candidate does not understand to protect the unborn, the innocent child, then that candidate may be right on other issues, but if they're wrong on the fundamental right, the right of all rights, then God cannot, will not bless that kind of policy. If a candidate wants to destruct marriage and redefine it as something other than the union of one man and one woman, those are issues that are not debatable. We can debate about a lot of kinds of issues, what the tax rate should be, what our foreign policy should be, what some of our border security should be. Those are debatable. But there's at least a core group of values that are not. The sanctity of human life and the traditional definition, the definition that God designed as marriage between one man and one woman. I've argued before courts all over the country about 40 cases defending marriage as one man and one woman, lost only one so far, and that's in California with a 4-3 to three decision. That possibly will be changed this November when the people go to the ballot box. There are politicians running for the highest office of the land that oppose the people of California's right to change their constitution. And there's others that support them. 
We need to find out who those individuals are. Noah Webster has been one of our early founding fathers, and he said here at the very end, look to his character. When a citizen gives his suffrage to a man of known immorality, he abuses his trust. And he sacrifices not only his own interest, but that of his neighbor. He betrays the interest of his country. We have a politician in office right now who has had male prostitutes in his Washington, D.C. apartment. That politician has been elevated to power. That politician sits on the banking and the financial committees. Can we really believe that God is going to bless this nation if we have $700 billion to throw into the economy, if we don't have values and people who are virtuous in office, we can put all kinds of band-aids on all of the symptoms, but if we don't go to the root cause, if we don't vote and take serious Christian values and put people in office who are in fact going to advance those values, then God cannot, as we said earlier, bless this nation. We've got to advance our core values one vote at a time. We have voter guides that are there. They're all over the internet on the Liberty Council website. Here's one of the voter guides within that. We're compiling them not just for president, but for all other individuals as well. We need to be informed about where these individual candidates stand on these important issues. Megan and Mandy Chapman. I want to end with a story about them. They had a choice. Megan was elected to give a prayer at her closing graduation ceremony in Russell Springs High School about two and a half years ago. As she was coming toward the end of uh, that school year, the ACLU filed a lawsuit. The ACLU got a court order on the day of graduation. And the court said neither Russell Springs High School nor Megan Chapman could pray. We did all we could at Liberty Council to try to contact her, finally contacted her just a few hours before the graduation on Friday night. And when I talked to Megan, I said, Megan, we can help you on this. We can get the order overturned, which we eventually did. But I also said, Megan, if you just look at the order, it just simply says you can't pray. It doesn't say that you can't talk about the most important person in your life. So if you decide when you go to the podium to talk about important things or important people, well, then we'll stand behind you 100%, whatever God places on your heart. And so Megan went there. The graduation of 198 or so students packed the 3,000 or so people in this, spring, uh, this Russell Springs gymnasium. And the principal got up, the superintendent got up to welcome everybody. And as soon as he did, the graduating class stood up and unanimously in unison began reciting the Lord's Prayer. The audience began to chime in and began to recite the Lord's Prayer with them. Megan then got up. And she had the road less traveled as a poem that she was going to substitute. But when she got to that podium, she realized God didn't bring her there for that particular time. Despite the adversity, God brought her there for opportunity. God brought her there to speak the word of truth, to witness for Jesus Christ. And so she shared her testimony of her faith in Jesus Christ to 3,000 plus people. And over and over, her speech was interrupted by thunderous applause and standing ovations. The very next day in Saturday's Louisville Courier-Journal, it said on the front page that a revival-like atmosphere broke out in the graduation to the dismay, obviously, of the ACLU. 
That news went on the wire services, and Fox News called me that afternoon on Saturday, wanting to have Megan on television. And so we set that up, and we were on Fox News, speaking to several million people around the country about her faith in Christ. I called Dr. Jerry Fowell, and I said, Dr. Fowell, it's these kinds of champions that we need at Liberty University. What can we do for her? He said, give her a full scholarship. So I called her up and I said, Megan, we want to give you a full scholarship. Dr. Falwell's authorized me to extend a full scholarship to you. She was just stunned and amazed. She says, I always wanted to come to Liberty, but I, I've already registered in another school. It's my second choice. She didn't accept. I thought, why didn't she accept? Then Monday came. We were going to do a television program, so I called Megan to bring her to Lynchburg to do a television program about the story, and another girl answered the phone. And it sounded just like Megan. I said, hello, Megan. She said, no, it's Mandy. She said, I'm her sister. I'm her twin sister. Well, it didn't take a lawyer to figure out if you're a twin sister, then you were in graduation Friday night. She said, yes, I was the one who gave out the bookmarks with the Lord's Prayer to my classmate in case my classmates forgot the words of the Lord's Prayer. So I picked up the phone again, and I called Dr. Falwell, and I said, Dr. Falwell, guess what? Megan has a twin. And so Megan and Mandy are here now in their junior year at Liberty University. Stand up, Megan and Mandy. But it didn't stop there, because I got a call from CNN, and they were doing a six-hour special called God's Warriors. They wanted to come to Liberty, and so I introduced them to Megan and Mandy Chapman. And God's Christian Warriors was aired around the world multiple times. Dr. Jerry Falwell is listed on God's Christian Warriors as the very first person on this God's Christian Warriors two-hour segment. Twenty minutes of it are devoted to Liberty University and what's happening here on this great campus. And in fact, Megan and Mandy were the last people ever mentioned in Dr. Falwell's Falwell Confidential email. Megan and Mandy Chapman were the last people ever to appear with Dr. Falwell on the last edition of the National Liberty Journal. That's what they're holding in their arms. And they were with him as part of the last televised program he ever did before he went home to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Megan and Mandy had a choice. And it's the same choice all of us have. It's the choice to listen to the naysayers, to the negatives. It's the choice to follow the crowd. It's the choice to be intimidated. It's a choice to just simply give up. But they had a choice, and when that choice came, they chose it for Jesus Christ. They chose, no matter the consequences, they were going to stand on the principles of Jesus Christ. And as a result, their futures have literally been changed. There are two parallel futures for these twins. They could have been in a totally different area of the country. Megan now wants to go to Liberty University School of Law. She wants to become the ACLU's, ACLU's worst nightmare to overturn Roe versus Wade. They had a choice. Two different tangents of the future. God has called this generation, you young men and women at Liberty University, to stand up for righteousness and be world changers based on Christian values. Let it start here at Liberty. Let it start here in Lynchburg. Let it start here in Virginia. Let it go throughout the country and let it impact the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. And let it begin this November. May God bless you.